Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast to help spread Hope Church to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Get that device open or the Bible on your lap. I want you to think back if you're a follower of Jesus to when you first began to follow Christ. Many followers of Jesus in the room, I don't know if that's very recently or maybe it's been decades now, but I want you to think back to when you first began following Jesus. I've shared before, for me, this summer marks 20 years. Right before my senior year of high school, 20 years ago, I began to follow Jesus. And maybe some of you would have a similar testimony to me. When I came back from the summer camp I gave my life to Christ at, I began to tell my friends that I had become a Christian. I now am following Jesus, and maybe you've experienced this, but I got some, let's say, mixed reviews from my friends. There were some friends that, maybe like our culture says today, they said, that's great for you, Scott. That's, that's awesome, man. You just do you. Whatever's true for you, that's cool. But I had some other friends that were a little more bold and blunt with me and did not like the fact that I'd begun to follow Jesus. In fact, they said, I don't understand why you would do that, Scott. Context, I'm about to be a senior in high school. They said, why, when we're about to start the funnest years of our lives as human beings, getting ready to go into senior year, getting ready to go into college, why on earth would you become, quote unquote, religious? Now you can't do all the fun things. These are real things that people said to me. See, that's the prevailing thought of our culture. That's the air that we breathe. If you follow God, you can't have any fun. There's no pleasure. In fact, there's a term for God that a lot of people use. It's that he's a cosmic killjoy. Anybody ever heard that? What is this? That God is some master dictator opposed to fun and pleasure. The problem is when you read his book, it's the exact opposite of the God that we find in this book. We just saw it on the screen, and it's all throughout the pages of Scripture. God is actually the creator and the giver of joy, the fullness of pleasure we have when we sit at his right hand. This is, this is an incredible delusion that so many of us, maybe even in this room, have bought into, that if you follow God, you're going to miss out on all the fun. How did we get here? We got here because a few weeks ago, we talked about a crafty enemy in the garden, He's the serpent, he's the enemy, he's Satan. And he's actually flipped this whole deal on its head. See, he's actually the one that is the killjoy. He's the one that desires to take our fun and take our pleasure. God desires to give that to us. Let me show you a verse we've been looking at for the last several weeks. Jesus is talking in John 10.10. 10. It says the thief, that's the enemy, that's the serpent. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Many people have bought the lie that that's God's job. What God's job is, is the next part. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See the, the subtle deception of the enemy? He's flipped this whole thing on its head. I love how Pastor John Piper said it very succinctly. He said, God is not a killjoy. He just opposes what kills joy. 
three weeks now, four weeks now, we've been in a series highlighting what I just began the message with, that Jesus Christ, in Christ, we get joy, the fullness of life as it was meant to be lived from the creator. We get this beautiful, overflowing, abundant life. It's free for us. It's available to us who are in Christ. The problem is, and the problem we've been highlighting for a few weeks is, there are so many Christians including the one on stage at times in my Christian journey, that would not characterize my life as overflowing with joy. Why is that? What we've been saying now for four weeks is that there's some, something under the surface, some sins under the surface that are doing what we name this series after, killing our joy. So we've been declaring war based on our marching orders in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, against these sins. Look at what the Word of God says. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That highlighted portion is strong in the original language. It means to annihilate, to destroy, to declare war against these sins under a service. So by the, the power of the Spirit in us, we have been seeking to do that, specifically as we look at Old Testament stories that many of us are familiar with, but we've been seeing these same sins that are in these stories live just under the surface of so many of our lives. We're trying to, by the Spirit's power, wage war against them. So we've looked at pride and rebellion in the Garden of Eden. We looked at envy and anger in a man named Joseph and his brothers. And yet again today, we set our sights on two more sins under the surface. Here they are. Laziness and lust. Now, there are times when you're studying for a message that there's just a heaviness, a burden, and I felt that all week this week. And the reason why is because I knew I was going to stand on a stage once on Thursday, twice on Sunday with a bunch of people logging in online and speak a message that has some depth, some, some heaviness. The story we're going to read in 2 Samuel 11 is not some irrelevant story of long gone past. It's very real in so many of our lives have been affected by it and maybe right now in the moment being affected by it. So I just need you to know as we jump in today, there's some, some depth and heaviness to what we're gonna unpack from the word of God. But as deep and heavy as it will be, deeper and greater is the grace of God that covers all of our sins. So we're gonna highlight the grace of God in this place. But I just felt led, I wanna just pray again and ask the Spirit of God to do what only he can do is I'm speaking for a room full of people, many of which are walking very deep in what we're gonna talk about today. So let's pray and ask the Lord to do it. Holy Spirit of God, as we have already in three services, I ask you to speak to every heart, to put your spotlight of grace into every situation that needs it. God, would there be freedom and restoration and grace found today? Would you bind the enemy in these next few moments and let us all lean into what you have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Here's where we're headed today. Here's the big idea. If you're taking notes, you can find it on our notes app as well. In a culture that highlights laziness and lust as natural and necessary, these are pervasive and destructive sins that we must wage war against. That's what I hope to unpack in the next little bit. We're gonna do that by looking at a story about a man named David. Now, David, to probably everybody in the room, is not a stranger. 
I don't know many people in America that have not heard of the little shepherd boy that showed up on the battlefield one day with a sling and some rocks and took down a giant named Goliath. Well, now that man is king, and we're gonna read about a fall, a great fall as he committed a grave sin. But we're gonna see how it applies to our lives. We're gonna do that. We're gonna do that by looking at what I'm calling three catastrophic seas. Three catastrophic seas. Here's the first one, the choices. The choices. Second Samuel 11, we're gonna pick up in verse one as we see these choices begin to play out. Here's what the word of the Lord says. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. I've highlighted those five words because I do not believe it's an overstatement to say these five words changed everything about David's life and legacy. What's happening here, we have to have some context because in our world, warfare is just continuously happening. They don't take breaks from war. It's just 24-7 happening. But back in this time, they, the, the, the armies would actually agree to take some breaks. So during the winter, let's break from battle and go back home and, and rest and prepare to come back in the spring and get back into the action. That's what's happening here. So it's saying when, when everyone's gearing back up for battle and the kings are leading their armies forward, David stayed home. He punted on his responsibility as king. It's important to know here, David's been king for about 20 years in this story. What does that mean? 20 years of living the life of luxury as a king. David has gotten comfortable in being king. And what we see in this story is his comfort has led to complacency. He has been so comfortable, now it's leading him into complacency. And we have to be aware that that same tendency is in every single one of us. We can get so comfortable that we actually begin to become complacent. But complacency is actually not something we find in David's life very much. I mentioned it already, but he's the most, one of the most famous people in the Bible. This is that little shepherd boy that showed up on the battlefield and said, if nobody else is gonna take down this giant, I'll take down this giant. He had intensity and passion. He wrote most of the book of Psalms, if you're familiar. These are incredible songs of worship to a good God, and David is the primary writer of these. Let me show you a couple of my favorite Psalms that show anything but complacency in this man's life. Psalm 119, verses nine and 10. Psalm 119 is the the biggest chapter, the, the, the longest chapter in the word of God. Look at David's passion. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. There's a passion, there's an intensity. Look at Psalm 63, one. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. This is a intense, passionate man, lover of God. What I'm trying to highlight for us is what we see in 2 Samuel 11 is the exception in David's life. The problem is it only takes one exception to change your life. The same thing is true of our life. It takes one exception to change 
everything. This is the, the danger of laziness that we see. We are all, no matter how much of a man of character or a woman of integrity you may be, we are all one click or one text or one interaction or one night away from disaster. My pastor John Piper, for 40 years, spoken into the kingdom of God, specifically the, the church in the West. He's called the church in the West to what he calls a, a wartime mentality, not peacetime. It's time to make war, what we've been talking about in this series. I quoted this quote week one, but I thought it bared repeating. This is John Piper. Until you believe that life is a war, that your stakes are your soul, you will probably just play at Christianity with no blood earnestness, no vigilance, no passion, and no wartime mindset. If that is where you are this morning, your position is very precarious. The enemy has lulled you into sleep or into a peacetime mentality as if nothing serious is at stake. This is where we find David in the beginning of 2 Samuel 11. His commanders are suiting up and he probably thought, I've done this for 20 years now. I'm gonna sit this one out. I mean, come on, I've done this for so long. What's the worst that could happen? And then the worst happened. What we learn from this story is David would have been safer in the battlefield of war than he was alone in his palace. We just wanna let the word of God, every time we gather, church, bear some weight on our lives. We need to ask the hard questions. We've been, we've been pushing us towards maturity as followers of Jesus. Let's ask the hard questions so that we can avoid some of these things and take hold of that joy that's available to us in Christ. So let's the Lord, let the, the word of the Lord bear weight on us for us. David became complacent in his calling. Where have you, what are the areas in your life where you've gotten, you've gotten a little comfortable? And if you're not careful, it will lead to complacency. Maybe you're thinking, man, what's the worst that could happen? And we see from this story, the worst can happen. You've got to be vigilant. You become complacent in your time with God, understanding how much you need the Lord. School started, life is busy, the kids have me running around all over town, dropping people off everywhere, work is crazy. I'll get time for the word of God when things calm down. You become idle and investing in and protecting your marriage. You become lazy in your responsibilities as a leader in your family. You become passive and protecting your purity. If you let your guard down with where you choose to go online and what you choose to follow and what you choose to view. These are all red flags we see here in David's story. And if we're not careful, these are all things just under the radar of our own lives. When God created Adam, we visited this a few weeks ago, he, he gave him a responsibility to work it and keep it, the land. He, he gave him responsibility to, to keep his hands busy. I believe the safest place I know for me is to be in God's calling and be busy. So for me, I, I love that I'm, a, I'm a, in a really busy season right now. Some of you are in the same season my wife and I are in. I, I come here to work every day and I'm wrung out for the glory of God. I, I go home pretty tired, but I understand my role as a husband and father is my second shift is about to start as soon as I get home. Because praise God, that woman has been with four kids all day and she needs a break. <laughs> So I step into my second shift. I need to help around the house. I need to roll around with the kids. I need to go swimming. And then eventually I'm gonna get through dinner and get through nighttime stuff. And I'm gonna tuck those kids in and pray for them. Then I'm gonna, by God's grace, check on mama's heart before we go to bed. And I'm gonna lay my head on the pillow exhausted. 
And I believe that's the safest place for me to be because a bored Scott is a dangerous Scott. And you're laughing, but I think a bored you is a dangerous you. I love how Sam Storms said it. One of the most serious threats to the human spirit is boredom. Boredom is the breeding ground for wickedness. Bored people are easy targets of the flesh and the devil. It is like putting a bullseye on your chest with a sign, tempt me, I'm easy. This is where we find David. David made a choice to not do what he should have. But secondly, David made a choice to do what he should not have. Pick it up in verse two. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman. Pause there. David's laziness led him to lust. And I know lust, that's a, a very loaded word. Lust can mean a lot of things, mainly that anything that our flesh desires. But in this story, and what we're gonna focus on today is sexual lust. What we see here is David was, was enthralled with sexual lust as he saw this woman bathing on the roof. Some context here, again, is going to help us because this is not the first time David has been overcome with sexual lust. We know from his story that Contrary to God's will, this man is already a man who has multiple wives. Lust was a driver for David, but isn't that the lie of lust? Although he already had multiple relationships outside of God's will, he said, yeah, but if I could just have that one. This is the, the lie of lust. If I could just get that, I'll be satisfied. There's this, this line that happens in our lust where we think if we could just get past that line, and how many of us know as soon as you step over that line that's supposed to satisfy, you find nothing but emptiness and broken promises because it won't satisfy. If you don't believe me, ask David's son, Solomon. Solomon walked in a lot of the same sin patterns as his father. In fact, the Bible says when he was king, he had, get this, 700 wives, <laughs> Whoa. But not just 700 wives. The Bible says he had 300 concubines. What's a concubine? Some ladies on the side. So this man had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's 1,000 women at his beck and call. In Ecclesiastes chapter two, he says, I've had more pleasure on this earth than any other man, and I'm still not satisfied. It's like trying to catch the wind. Some of you right now are living in a lie that says, oh man, if I could be like that, I don't even need a thousand. Give me just a few. If I could just have a little bit of what Solomon had, then I will be satisfied. Solomon is saying, you will never be satisfied. It is a lie that you will try to catch time and time again, leaving a, a absolute carnage behind you. And it's like trying to catch hold of the wind. It doesn't work. Chuck Swindoll talked about this story. He said this. Seeing the woman, he, that's David, stops, he lingers. A glance becomes a gaze, a gaze stretches into a stare, a stare dissolves into a leer. He loses all awareness of who he is or the danger that lies ahead. 
Isn't that the lie of lust? When we're in that moment, nothing else matters except getting that thing. As the dense cloud of his aroused passion closes in around him, all he knows is the present. Everything else is forgotten. His family, his kingdom, and even his God. David is in a terrible situation. But praise God, he gives him a way out. Studied this passage a lot, but only until this week did I see the next verse. He gives him a way out. Look at it in verse, the end of verse three. And one said, this is God's warning sign. This is his signal flare. He's like saying, hello. He sends this one. We don't know his name. He's probably one of David's servants. Says, and one said, look at this. Is not this Bathsheba? Hey, David. Hello. Look at it. Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Hey, David, this is your commander's daughter. This is one of your mighty men fighting the battle that you should be fighting, but instead you're sitting at home. This is his wife. Signal flare. Hello. Is this not Bathsheba? I love that this one, we don't know his name. He just calls it out. He doesn't like try to hint at something that David might pick up what he's putting down. He just says, hello, you know who this is. This is your friend's daughter and your warrior's wife. Hello, he calls it out. I believe we as the church, we need to be people that call these things out. Is this not Bathsheba? So here's what the culture says. The culture said this is an affair. The Bible says this is adultery. The culture says this is love. The Bible says this is lust. The culture says this might be satisfying, but the culture say, or the Bible says it may be satisfying for a moment, but this is sinful that will bring damage. The culture says this is romantic. It may be romantic for a minute, but the Bible says this romance will bring ruin, and that's exactly what happens in this story. Is this not Bathsheba? We don't get any hint that David even thought twice about what the one said, because verse four says, so David sent messengers and took her. She had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness and she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now there are a lot of views on how this all played out and who was culpable of what, but here's what we know that we know that we know. David commits adultery and Bathsheba is now pregnant and David's choices mattered. Thinking he's thinking he, in his high horse, his king, there's nobody around. This isn't gonna hurt anybody. I'm not bothering anybody. But his choices mattered. How many times have we been in those moments where we're thinking, I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody will know about this. Our choices matter. And that leads us to our second catastrophic C, the cover-up. Story goes on. David, as you might expect, is in panic mode. <laughs> Uh-oh, I gotta figure this out. This can't happen in my kingdom. So he sends for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Sends back from war. Come back from war. He's thinking he's gonna come back war, battle weary. He's gonna go home. He's gonna sleep with his wife and then nobody will ask any questions when his wife ends up pregnant. So he sends Uriah home and Uriah sleeps on the porch. <laughs> Doesn't go inside. And David's wondering, what are you doing, man? He's scrambling. Why would you do that? Look how Uriah answers him in 2 Samuel eleven eleven. 11. Uriah said to David, the ark 
and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. I have to believe Uriah's integrity in this moment had to hurt David. So David goes, okay, I'm a smart guy. New plan. This is all in 2 Samuel 11. He said, I'll get him drunk. I'll wine and dine him, and then he'll stagger home, and surely then he'll go in his house and he'll sleep with his wife. You're saying, that's in the Bible? I promise you, that's in the Bible. 2 Samuel 11. He wines and dines him. Uriah stumbles home, he's drunk, and he passes out on the porch and still does not go in his house, still maintaining his integrity. And so David does what we all do, and he continues to plot and to plan how to not take responsibility but to cover his sin. And so he sends Uriah back to the battlefield with a note to give to the commander to say, put him on the front lines, effectively murdering this man whose wife he just took. This is what happens when we in the midst of sin and rebellion in our hearts, church. We gotta let the word of God. Some of you are feeling this. I wanna be sensitive. Some of you are living this story. Maybe you've lived this story, but some of you are in this right now. This is why it's a burden of ours, why we're doing this series. Because this is a story we're reading, but there's some of this stuff under the surface of our lives and we're saying by the Spirit's power, let's kill it. Because it's destroying some of our families and killing our joy. It's a picture of what we see in James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is what we see in this story. It's the deceitfulness of sin that just continues to get deeper and deeper and deeper. To the point where the story ends. And the Spirit of God recorded this so that we would all see for all eternity in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And that leads to our third catastrophic C, the consequences. The lustful night may be over, but its consequences are far from over. Right, this is how it works in our lives. A moment of weakness turned into a night of passion which led to a year of heartbreak, which led to a life of devastation in the case of David. This story is painful. I so love one of the first books of the Bible that I was encouraged to read as a new follower of Jesus is the book of Psalms. I love David. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. There's tension in me though, church, because from this point forward, his legacy is a disaster. You read the story of his kids, his sons and daughters, it's riddled with death and sexual sin and dysfunction and hatred for their father. As a dad of four kids, I read David's story heartbroken. Understanding God can redeem, but you read the story and you go, man, one choice changed everything for David. In fact, David wanted, or God wanted to show David how powerful this was in his life. So he sent in the next chapter, 2 Samuel 12, he sent the prophet Nathan to tell David a little story. I encourage you to read it this week. The prophet Nathan comes to David and says, I wanna tell you a little parable, David. There's this king and he has all that kings have, all the livestock you could ever want. And then there's this other man, he's a poor man, but he has one little lamb. 
but he treats that lamb like his own kid. He brings it inside, he feeds it at the table. His, his kids snuggle with this lamb. And there's this traveler that comes in town and the king desires to wine and dine this man. But instead of taking from his abundance as the king, he goes to this poor man and takes the one lamb he has and, and, and kills that lamb for the feast for this traveler. Now, David, what do you think about that story? That's all in 2 Samuel 12. David is furious. How dare this man? This man deserves to die. Show me where he is. I'll kill him myself. Probably the most stinging statement in all of scripture, Nathan looks at David and says, David, you are the man. You're the king. Isn't it funny how other people's sin is always more heinous than our own? And I just gotta believe, because I've been praying a lot. Our team's been praying. I just gotta believe in this moment, in the message right now, the word of God is bearing weight on some of you and the spirit of God is prompting your heart saying, you are the man. You are the woman, and what I want us to see is that's actually a gift of grace. I've been praying that God would, would reveal some secret sin in our church. Why? So we can bring it out to the surface. God's grace can cover it, and we can, by his power and by his spirit, kill it for the glory of God. That's what I want us to do in the series. This is what we're trying to understand. One of the things I want to kind of close with, or get close to closing, I should say, your sin will find you out, church. And some of you, that stings, but I wanna, I wanna try to highlight for you, this is grace. Some of us have been living in this story. It's God's grace that he would never just leave you in the dark to try to coddle your pet sin. He wants to bring it out. Why? So he can shower you with the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus. And some of us are, are, are literally feeling the weight of our sin as we try to keep it secret. And it's like running a marathon every day to try to keep all the ducks in a row so you don't get found out. Let me encourage you with a little bit of discouragement. Your sin will find you out. Better to confess it now than be found out later. Sin is never worth it. It will find you out. I love how Spurgeon said it. He says, God does not allow his children to sin successfully. Can we be honest? We wish he did sometimes. <laughs> But he loves you too much and the people you're hurting too much to allow it. And so he takes the word of God and takes sometimes things and extenuating circumstances to put a spotlight of grace. We've been saying that in all series, not guilt, grace, to bring it out to the light so you can deal with it and move on. It may hurt in the moment. Don't hear me wrongly. But it might hurt like when that surgeon takes that scalpel and has to cut beneath the surface, but he's doing it to get out what is actually killing you. That's what the Lord may be wanting to do in this moment. A lot of us are living Proverbs 6, 27. I love how graphic this is. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Some of us are trying to carry the fire. The answer to that question, by the way, is no. But some of you can smell the smoke. And today is the day that God wants to draw it out and give you grace. Today is the day that God wants to draw it out and it may hurt and there may be some consequences we gotta live with, but you need to get it out into the light so that you can be met with the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus and move forward. Some of us feel like David did in Psalm 32. We don't know, by the way, if this was written after Bathsheba, but I like to think it was. Commentators are split on when Psalm 32 was written, but see if it doesn't make sense that it was written after 2 Samuel 11. Look at Psalm 32, three and four. This is David. When I refused 
to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Some of you feel this as you try to keep secret your pet sin. Day and night, your hand of discipline was upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Some of you living this right now. We're asking the spirit of God by his grace and power to draw it out today and let it, let it be open so that he can deal with it. So that we can all get to where David gets in this psalm later on. Look at verse five. Finally, I confess to you all my sins and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. He will always forgive you. My guilt is gone. All my guilt is gone. But here's the subtle lie of the enemy. Don't you dare bring that thing out into the open. Why? Because God's gonna punish you. Listen, follower of Jesus, you gotta preach the gospel to yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus, your sin will never be punished in this moment. When you bring your sin into the light, it will not be punished. You say, what do you mean? It was already punished. That's the good news of the gospel. Our sin was already punished when it was put on Christ and he died for our sin. Are there consequences for our sin? Yes. But we gotta understand the difference between God's discipline of punishment and God's discipline of consequences. One is he's trying to hurt you and smash you and make you feel guilty. That never is what God does. Why? Because he did all that to Christ for us. But you better believe that scalpel of his grace wants to get out the stuff that is stealing the joy that he won for you. This is what we have to remind the enemy of. It's good news to bring it out into the light. That's what today is. You, you gotta believe, I believe God brought some of you to church today to hear this message. That there is a God who loves you too much and loves the people you're hurting too much to keep you where you are. And today, your response is lay it out in front of them and say, I'm done. There might be some hard conversations later on in households in our church. There might be some really tough conversations. There may be some getting rid of some things in our lives. What is this? This is wisdom to say, I wanna fight by the power of the spirit in me. I wanna fight these things that are stealing my joy. That would be good news, even if it hurts in the moment. Let me close by giving us a, a path for fighting lust. Every week, we want to highlight, how do we fight this? For some of you, fighting it is just confessing today, having that hard conversation, having that conversation you've been dreading for months or maybe even years to bring it out to the light, to be met with the forgiveness and grace and mercy of Jesus and walk out whatever consequences come because that's where you're safest. But maybe a way to fight this lust is the simple acronym I put together, PATH. Here's the first one. Pursue a real growing relationship with Jesus. Before you roll your eyes too hard, I, I just need to remind you, you cannot do it by yourself. If you're wired like me, it's like, oh, let me roll up my sleeves. Let me get after this. Listen, apart from Christ, I could do nothing. So don't slip into the mindset that you're gonna walk in freedom because of how good you are, how disciplined you are. You can't because there's a flesh in you raging. You need Christ. That's what we've been trying to highlight. So you need to pursue a real growing relationship with Jesus. But secondly, practically avoid pitfalls. What does this look like? Just because a movie is a bestseller, if you know your proclivities, it doesn't mean you need to see that movie. Some of us need to give up on some of our hobbies because it's actually drawing us to places we never wanna be. We're finding ourselves on proverbial, proverbial rooftops looking at places we shouldn't be looking because somebody said, you gotta follow that account, you gotta watch this show on Netflix, you gotta see this movie. For you, maybe not. 
because it's a pitfall. So I'm gonna stay away from the things I know are gonna trip me up. Thirdly, turn your mind to Christ. What does this look like? Maybe memorizing scripture in those moments where it's all you can think about, lust is just attacking you at every level. Maybe you turn your mind to Christ. Maybe you memorize, like my favorite scripture, one of my favorite in these moments is Psalm 119, verse 11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Maybe that's the, the way you fight lust in your life is by quoting scripture. Or maybe for you, it's, it's praying in the moment. Clyde Cranford had these things he called prayer targets. As, as, I'm, as I'm face to face with temptation, in this instance, lust, I'm gonna actually have targets, things I'm gonna specifically pray for in those moments that are gonna direct my attention towards Christ and what he has for me. So in the middle of lust, when I see that thing on the screen, when I have that moment somewhere where I shouldn't be, I'm gonna turn my mind to, to praying for, for specific missionaries or ministries or things that I know that I've already got a list. I'm gonna turn forcefully to the things of Christ. These are ways we fight. And then lastly, have real accountability. Real accountability. Who's asking you? Do you have anybody in your life, church, asking you the real hard questions? I'm not just talking about how's your time with God and are you going to small group? I'm talking about what did you look at this week that maybe you shouldn't have? Hey, let me see your phone. Do I have access to your phone? People asking you the real questions. You say, that's legalism. That's not legalism, church. That's wisdom. There's two guys on our staff, two pastors on our staff, knowing my proclivities, knowing that apart from the grace of God, I am capable of anything. I've given two pastors on our staff my, my login information for, for uh, Instagram. Anytime they want, I've asked them to periodically check, see my DMs, see who I follow, see all my activity, why? Because I understand if I'm not careful, I'm gonna find myself on a rooftop somewhere. I'm gonna find myself in a proverbial rooftop seeing things I should not see, so help me. What is this? This is not legalism, this is wisdom. Here's how I wanna close. I, I said earlier, we prayed. I know this has been heavy. I'm just looking around this room and I know there are many of you that have been rocked by the very same things we just read in this story. Many of you may be walking right now and it's out in the open, but others of you are maybe just on the cusp. Is there anybody in your life that you're inviting in to say, is this not Bathsheba? You're about to go somewhere you never thought you'd be. That's the deceit of sin. What you never thought you could do, one compromise, one choice, a couple decisions, you are somewhere you never thought you could be. Look at David. So some of you, this is literally a signal flare in your life today. God wants to draw it out into the open. This is grace, church. And others of you are walking through it and you're looking for help, practical help. I wanna put a slide on the screen. Maybe you're here today and we've said this over and over and over again in the series, but you're trying to do life alone. If you're trying to do life alone, you need community. We were literally built for community. We got groups, we got things that we can plug into to help create those relationships that may allow you to have some accountability because some of you are like, man, I don't even know where to start. Maybe you just start by joining a group and getting involved in community here at Hope Church. So for others of you, you're in the middle of it. Like really in the middle of it. You need some help. You need somebody to come alongside you, Bible open, heart ready to lean in with you. We have an incredible team at our Life Center. And some of you need to not be too proud and scan that QR code and get the help that you need because we're here for you. This is what the church is. Nobody's perfect up here. I'm literally telling you, I have some things in my life because apart from the grace of God, we are all guilty of it all. 
So let's band together and say, let's fight this. We live in such a, a sexualized culture. <laughs> Coming at us from all directions, the rise of pornography, the rise of the hookup culture, in and outside of marriage, it's all just right there for us. We can't think just because we come to church for an hour on Sunday and we got no other accountability or no other places in our life to protect us that we're just gonna walk out of here unscathed. So let's fight it. Just a minute, we're gonna sing just a song of God's incredible grace. And because of what he's done on the cross, we are free. I hope you leave here with this anthem on your lips. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, I can be free. No matter how much bondage you feel right now, you can be free, but a lot of it starts by you taking out your pet sin and laying it out in the open and saying, God, I'm ready to deal with it. So in just a moment, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing. There's gonna be some pastors up here. There's also gonna be some ladies up here if you feel more comfortable. Ladies praying with a female. There's gonna be some ladies up here. However the spirit of God wants to move. But one of the things that I just felt led to, to lead us in as we respond to the word of God is, is some of us need to, to fight this on our knees. So listen, to come down to this altar and just ask the Lord for protection. And I'm not saying if you come down here, you got a, a problem with laziness or lust. I'm saying there's a problem in me called the flesh. So as soon as I pray, I'm gonna be right here on my knees asking the Lord, I know apart from you, I'm capable of anything. So I wanna be dependent on you, Jesus. I wanna ask you to protect me, protect our church. I'm not coming down here because I got some sin problem in my life right now. I'm coming down here because I have sin in my life always. And I need his grace. So maybe when we stand to sing, how beautiful would it be and just to pop to the devil's mouth to say, we're gonna be a church that de that's dependent. We're gonna be a church that's asking God to help us fight, help us do what it is he's called us to do by the power of the spirit in us. So however the Lord leads, we've been asking him to move and he has. And we're ready to receive you however you want to respond. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. The only reason we have your spirit is because you put it in us, put him in us as a sign of our redemption. So God, right now we ask, move and work, have your way, do what it is you want. We're waiting for you and we're ready to move in obedience. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's stand and respond however the Lord is leading you.